This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. It is the Savage Nation Rock and Roll Friday edition. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye, the Savage Court is now in session. All be seated, please. This is Judge Savage, where I will bring you today's news, views, and reviews, as I have done for the last quarter of a century. That's quite a long time. Enjoy it while you can. We'll begin with the headlines, the tweets, and the stories in a moment. I'll uh, give you the phone number, 855-400-7282, because it is Open Mic to Mic Friday. And uh, you can comment on anything that's bugging you, frankly. But I want to begin with something that I noticed that is not in the media, and that is the fact that yesterday I covered a bit of Plato's Republic. Now, think about this. Oh, don't turn the show off so quick. I know I didn't say Trump or Biden. I didn't say BLM or Antifa. I didn't say socialism or capitalism. Plato wrote the Republic 2,700 years ago. Okay. I had to read it in high school, and I used to reference it on my show regularly, and I stopped referencing it for years. So then I come up to the studio that I haven't used in a long time for over a year now, and I find my old library. They're like old friends sitting around with my, my little post-its here and there. And I start reading yesterday from Plato's Republic, and it becomes so interesting to me that I did a podcast name, a title from yesterday's show called From Plato's Republic to Our Republic, How It Relates to Trump or Biden. Now, we have a site where the podcasts are posted every day then they linked out to all of the other podcast sites like apple uh, i don't i spotify i don't know all of the places people get podcasts you can go to michaelsavage.com and listen to it for that matter now we actually find out how many people listen to it every day there's a report every day of how many downloads there are for the podcast and they're all about the same you know within a certain range right and they're all high yesterday on this, from Plato's Republic to Our Republic, we had double the downloads that we've had in the past, which tells me that my audience, at least, I cannot speak for the general public, my audience craves philosophy. My audience craves history. My audience has always tended to have a higher intellect than the average talk radio audience. And so I think the number of downloads indicates that that is true. I mean, we have evidence that tends to support that. And I'm going to talk about that for another minute or two, which is, in a way, philosophy. Do you thirst for philosophy? Do you still read philosophy? Is philosophy still relevant? Have you heard the word philosophy on Fox News? I haven't. Nobody uses philosophy anymore. So is there a place for philosophy in today's hyper-political times? I would say more so than ever. It's just like looking at a classic painting in an age of garbage painting. 
In an age of gibberish where people can't paint the portrait, you look at the great masters and you see their portraits where the person in the oil literally comes out of the canvas at you. Yeah, I think there's a place for classics, place for history, a, a place for philosophy. So I want to begin where I ended yesterday, which is how I related my readings on Plato's Republic to our republic and how it relates to Trump and Biden. And I'll play that in one minute. But I found something new this morning as I was sitting here in the studio pondering what to say on this Friday. And it was about what's happening in our society right now and how total freedom leads to anarchy. How a democratic society in its thirst for liberty may fall under the influence of bad leaders who lead us to tyranny. And he said that that is what ha I mean, I said that's exactly why we're, we are in tyranny right now. It's because all of you think you're entitled to liberty. And I mean unlimited, unfettered liberty with no controls whatsoever. So the social justice warriors are the prima facie example of brats who have never been disciplined in their lives by, by mothers and fathers, if they had such, who never said no to them. And so when they don't get their way, they no longer cry. They now break windows, burn things, and some of them shoot police. Some of them walk in the streets of New York and punch old women in the face. Okay, this is what is happening in the country right now. And the, the nation is literally melting down in front of our eyes. And that is because an excessive desire for liberty. You, ain't, you may think that liberty is the greatest merit of a democratic society. And it's the only merit of a democratic society. But I would argue to the contrary. There's no such thing as 100% liberty. There are constraints on all of us from cradle to grave. And yet, this excessive desire for liberty that we're seeing in the streets of America explains why the anarchists are reigning, um, let us say, without, without any constraints. Because the police have been neutralized by them. The police have been abused by them. The police have been so abused by these left-wing vermin that the police have decided to stand down and the anarchists now control the streets. Now, this goes back to what Plato the philosopher said would happen in a democracy when he wrote this 2,700 years ago. And he said, democracy arises out of an oligarchy and then democracy de devolves into a tyranny unless people are constrained. Popular liberty will lead to what we are living through right now. So here's something new I found last night in part nine in Plato's Republic called Imperfect Societies, where he says, you find that the minds of the citizens become so sensitive that the least vestige of restraint is resented as intolerable till finally, as you know, in their determination to have no master, they disregard all laws written or unwritten. Then in uh, the interlocutor, Glaucon says, yes, I know. And then he writes, well, this is the root from which tyranny springs, I said, a fine and vigorous beginning. Glaucon says, vigorous indeed, but what happens next, he asked. He says, the same disease which afflicted and finally destroyed oligarchy afflicts democracy in which it has more scope, still more virulently and enslaves it. Indeed, any extreme is liable to produce a violent reaction. This is as true of the weather and plants and animals as of political societies. 
And he goes on and he talks about how a society devolves because of this desire for unlimited liberty without restraint. Welcome to the Savage Nation. Again, I, I will tell you that I'm finding out that people are craving philosophy. They're craving classics to know where we're going through today. And if those of you who have read any of my books, fiction and nonfiction, know I'm a classicist in everything that I do. From my radio shows, despite the New York longshoreman's gruff accent, if you actually analyze my words and really listen to my words and really study my words, you will actually see philosophy. And in my new book, Our Fight for America, which is dismissed by the intolerant, illiterate liberals who will not even read it, you'll see a chapter called The Twin Plagues, Covidism and Communism. You'll see a chapter called The Virus Profiteers. Another one called, Will Our Bold Peasantry Go Gently Into That Good Night? Another called, A Public Health Disaster. Another, Beware the True Believers. Another, The War on Our Liberty, The War on Our Constitution. The Phony Moderate, From Law and Order to Raw Disorder. Things of that nature. These are the chapters in my new book, Out Last Week, I Fight for America, which outsold books numbers 14 and 15 on the New York Times list, but for reasons only known to Arthur Sulzberger's uh, workers, the book was not listed on the New York Times list. I'm delisted by them. And so that's okay. I know that my loyal audience went out and purchased the book, and I did it because I want you to share it with someone who doesn't really know what's going on. Perhaps you have a social justice warrior in your house who is still not so far gone that she will actually perhaps listen to one paragraph or two in our fight for America. And we will see what is going on at that point. Because I believe now we are at the last stages of this democracy. I do not see how we survive this unless the Eddies and the Ediths of our nation, the grandchildren of the grandfathers who took on the supermen of Hitler, take on Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and the other minions destroying our nation. We, their descendants, can do the same to save our nation. My father and both of my uncles were drafted into World War II. My father was drafted at the end of World War II, even though he had three children, one of whom was disabled, and we had no income whatsoever. You may not know it, but we almost lost World War II. You may not know that this country was a hairbreadth away from becoming subjugated by Germany, but it was the Eddies of World War II who took on the Superman and defeated him. And it is the sons and grandsons of those Eddies who are now in the streets being called every name under the sun by Wolf Blitzer, Jake Tapper, and the other illegitimate on the left, calling them right-wingers, far-right active, far-rightists, right-wingers, never saying one word about the radical, club-holding, window-breaking, cop-shooting, leftist communists rioting in America. Savage. Burning down the building is a symbolic act. I personally don't burn down It's also down very building. destructive and sure, but harmful and wrong. It creates economic activity because you need to employ a bunch of people to build the building back up. So a reporter says to one of the Antifa scum who should be thrown out of the country, sent to Guantanamo, uh, 
says burning down a building is a symbolic act. So the interviewer says, well, it's also very destructive and harmful and wrong. The Antifa scum says, sure, but it creates economic activity because you need to employ a bunch of people to build a building back up. Now you understand what we're dealing with. Liberalism is a mental disorder. Those in the streets who are rioting are criminals and mentally disordered people. A sane society shuts them down three months ago, not now. And the longer you permit these psychopathic maniacs, these psychopaths to go on, the worse they're going to get, the more empowered they're going to get. More people will die. More buildings will burn. They have done more damage to the infrastructure of this nation than ISIS ever did. And the military has done nothing to stop them. As a matter of fact, the military has said it will not intervene in any case in a domestic level because of the Posse Comitatus Act. That is utter rubbish. The military was deputized and used by presidents going back to Dwight the Eisenhower, who certainly knew something about the Posse Comitatus Act. The generals who are now running the military are all left-wing fanatics. Apparently, they don't even belong in their positions. They don't even know what their job is. What do they think it is to just work with contractors after they get out of work and uh, sit on the golf course? They won't even intervene if they're asked to, they said. Remember when Trump tried to get them to stop the burning and looting in Washington. How dare the president ask us to do something other than collect our pensions and go to work for Lockheed Martin after we retire? Oh, boy, are we in trouble. Robert in San Jose, line two, you're up on the Savage Nation. I try to do philosophy, but I guess I failed. Uh, what would you like to talk about? Well, philosophy, you know, yes, uh, you know the, if you have radical egalitarianism, it'll lead to a tyranny. And if you have radical individualism, It'll lead to a nihilistic hedonism. And that, I mean, potentially. Well, let's slow it down because I heard you. You said radical individualism of the type we are seeing in Antifa is a form of nihilistic hedonism. Is that more or less an example that you would say is acceptable? Well, we're allowing it and we're, because we, everyone's equal. We have to intersect with criminals now. The intersectionality, we have to intersect. The normal people have to intersect with, with, with weirdos and, 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 and criminals. Right. When the mayor of San Francisco, for example, permitted bums, filthy, degenerate, infected bums to urinate and defecate in the streets of San Francisco and told the police not to arrest them, that was the beginning of the downfall of this city and many others. Well, you're exactly right, Michael. You know, they're commandeering hotels. If you want to be commandeered and have your property confiscated and your, your wealth and your income confiscated, vote Democrat. Well, the Dems are fleeing the big cities. They're all buying properties outside the cities. They're trying to dump their their apartments. I, I see that even John Lennon's former apartment on a Sutton Place is for sale. They're getting out as fast as they can after they've ruined the, the ship of Manhattan and San Francisco and the big cities with their liberalism. They try to leave, don't they? And then what do they do? They move to beautiful areas that are not infested with their liberalism. And what is the first thing these New Yorkers or San Franciscans do? They bring their polluted, sick, demented left-wing philosophies, if you want to call that, uh, it, that to these new communities and poison the new communities with their activism. I've seen it a hundred times. It happened back in the 60s when the vermin on the Upper West Side of Manhattan could no longer live there because of the needles, uh, the junkies, the crime, the muggings. They left. Many of them moved to Vermont. And what did they do to this formerly wonderful state of Vermont? They polluted it with their left-wing uh, activism. And what happened? Bernie Sanders was born in Bur Birmingham, from, uh, Bur Burlington, Vermont, and became a mayor because of them. The same thing is true in San Francisco. Many San Franciscans fled this city uh, I would say back in the 70s and 80s and went up to cities like Portland and Seattle and they poisoned 
the politics of Portland and Seattle after they fled the city that they had ruined. This is a pattern over and over again. And it's happening right now with them leaving San Francisco and going out to Marin County, Contra Costa County, moving up to Lake Tahoe. They're going to pollute Incline. They're going to pollute all of northern uh, Incline Village, all, all of northern uh, Lake Tahoe with their left-wing philosophy and destroy a pristine area with their garbage. It happens over and over again. I'm sending you a copy of Our Fight for America. Maybe you can help spread the word. Phone number is 8554. I said I wouldn't get too, too worked up today, and I'm trying not to. I mean, I slept really well last night, not solely because I was free to speak as I really generally had, had done for many years. I've been under terrible constraints for a long time. I felt very free yesterday. And I intimated at things which I cannot yet discuss. I will have a major announcement for you. I would hope in the next week or at latest two weeks from now, because time is very short, about what I will or will not be doing in January of 2021. And the only thing I can tell you now is that you are welcome to visit michaelsavage.com every day to look for my messaging, because I own it. I'm free to tell you what I believe more so there than anywhere. I'm constrained by Twitter. I'm constrained by Facebook. I'm constrained by radio. But I'm not constrained by michaelsavage.com. I'll be right back. Savage. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Plato wrote 2,700 years ago about uh, people, rulers, and he says, we have brought you into the world to be rulers of the hive, kings of yourselves and of the other citizens. That's about you. Teaches you to be your own king. And he says, basically, in a bad state, men fight with one another about shadows, shadows only and are distracted in the struggle for power, which in their eyes is a great good. In other words, you are fighting over shadows on the wall. You don't even see the players. That's what's going on in this country right now. The media basically is playing shadows on the wall for you and distracting you from really what is really going on. And then here's the conclusion. Whereas, he wrote, the truth is that the state in which the rulers are most reluctant to govern is always the best and most quietly governed and the state in which they're most eager the worst. Now, if you look at that statement, the truth is that the state in which the rulers are most reluctant to govern is always the best and most quietly governed and the state in which they are most eager the worst. That's great English, isn't it? Of course, it was written in Greek, but that's great English translation. Trump is actually a libertarian ruler. He's very reluctant to govern. He really doesn't control our lives. No masks. Okay? Take your own chances. Open up the states. Take your chance. Get sick and get better. Okay? Biden, on the other hand, is the most eager to govern. He would lock you down the same way that Kamala Harris locked up black people for petty crimes. They're hiding that, but she was a terrible terrible prosecutor a malicious prosecutor rulers which are most reluctant to govern is always the best state 
And the state in which rulers are most eager to rule is the worst state. That tells you who to vote for. Trump is actually a libertarian, while the Harris-Biden ticket will rule you like in a fascist dictatorship from masks on down. Savage. Well, that was the end of yesterday's podcast from Plato's Republic to Our Republic, how it relates to Trump or Biden. And that is how I got to that. I arrived at that by reading from Plato. I didn't predetermine to say that. I was trying to think it through. I dread a President Harris. She comes from the fascist machine that gave us Pelosi. She came from the fascist machine of Pelosi in San Francisco, which Pelosi actually had the audacity yesterday to state that she thinks Joe Biden should not debate Trump at all, that Trump is not worthy of debate. Have you ever heard anything like this? By definition, Pelosi is a fascist. No debates. I would say that to Pelosi, there should be no vote. If she knows exactly what needs to be done, therefore there should be no need for a vote. Well, that's your decision. And yet you have people on the other side who see it exactly the opposite way. Now, normally that would make for good politics. In this case, it makes for great social, uh, I don't even have the right word, a lot of social distemper right now in America, social distemper. And so I turn now in my life, it's funny what I'm doing, I'm under more pressure than I've ever been in my whole life for many reasons. I don't have to go into it with a crybaby thing here. You know what I did? I, I went back to some of the books that I read when I was young. I don't even have them anymore. I don't know where they went. I, I think I threw them away when in all my moves, you have everything you have. Who knows where they are? Warehouses. I have no idea. A lot of stuff I have, a lot of stuff I don't have. I should have kept all my books with all the markings in them. So I reordered, for example, we're not talking philosophy necessarily. I reordered um, early Hemingway books in hardcover. I don't like to read paperback books. I, I, I try to find hardcovers, but they have to be new, especially in the age of COVID. You know, my mother, funny thing. I was always a reader. She would say, I don't like used magazines. I don't like used books. Don't bring them in the house. I thought she was like weird, like old timer. But remember, they went through the, I think, the flu way, way, way back. And there was always a fear that, you know, newspapers, magazines carried, you know, like disease or something. But she never liked used stuff. I don't like used books. I can imagine like some old hippie read the book before me and like crumbs fell in it. I like to get like new, you know, a new hardcover. So I ordered Hemingway's. Uh, Islands in the Stream. You probably saw the movie many years ago. Fabulous film. Now, Hemingway was one of my great influences. I loved reading him when I was younger. He, I don't, he took me to another place. He taught me what masculinity is. He taught me what dignity was. He taught me what uh, courage was. He taught me what adventure was. I loved Hemingway, so I read everything of his. I mean, I read, I, I, before him, I, I read um, Aldous Huxley. I read everything Aldous Huxley ever wrote including I became so obsessed with Aldous Huxley that I read his magazine articles that he wrote in obscure magazines about uh, furniture and architecture. I even went to London at one point when I was still permitted in England and uh, looked, I went to one of the great libraries to look up old Huxley manuscripts. I, I got so obsessed with Aldous Huxley, this is a side note, that I remember in 1966, I drove to the West Coast from New York City in an old, terrible little Nash drove across the country to Nash, amongst other things, to visit um, Laura Archera Huxley, one, his widow at the time. I was discussing with her a project that never came to fruition. And it was a great uh, voyage for me. 
And actually, I know I remember now. We went to uh, Reed College for one summer to study psychology on an NSF grant. And on the way home from uh, Portland, uh, I loved Portland at the time, beautiful city. I drove down to uh, to L.A. to visit Laura Archer Huxley. And I remember, oh, this is an interesting story to me. I remember driving on Mulholland, I don't know what's called, Mulholland Highway or something, up in the hills of Beverly Hills. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Mulholland Drive, Mulholland Drive. I still drive it. I know it well. I have a home down there. I don't go there much. I intend to spend half my time down there next year because I actually love L.A. I'm one of the few people who loves it. I, I love it. I, I, before COVID, I loved it. The people are much more talkative, more dynamic, more alive. I don't care what their politics are as long as they talk. San Francisco people are covert like cats. People in L.A. are more overt like dogs. Let's leave it at that. So I remember, I remember driving on Mulholland Drive in the Nash on a visit to visit Laura Archer Huxley at the time. So she took, she was staying with a friend, if I'm not mistaken, a Mrs. Pfeiffer, who Huxley had written about. And Mrs. Pfeiffer had an estate, which today is not, you know, by my standards today, just a normal, you know, mid-century house with a swimming pool. But it was up in the mountains above Los Angeles. Now, remember, for a young guy from New York, a house in the hills of, of Hollywood, Hollywood Hills, no matter what the house was with a swimming pool in the clouds, is like ascending to heaven, right? So Huxley wrote about this young Hispanic kid who lived on the property named Juan, a character in one of the, the stories, I think, Juan. I actually met the actual Juan there. I said, oh my, you know, like when you see living history, you know, living f- fiction come to life. It was one of the most, I don't know, enlightening moments of my life to get to that place. And I never forgot that swimming pool in that rather ordinary mid-century house above Los Angeles, above the Hollywood Hills somewhere. I don't even know where it is. I could probably find it. So I'm telling you how obsessed I had gotten when I was young with authors and writers. And now for all these years now, I've been in radio where I have nothing but radio in my mind. Almost 99% of my brain is filled with radio. So I'm transitioning to a new phase of my life. And what I'm doing is transitioning back to where I was before this. I was an inveterate journal writer. I have journals going back to 1966. Handwritten journals, beautiful penmanship. I've had them all edited. I've had them all transferred to digital files. I was going to publish them about four years ago. The journals of Michael Savage. I never got around to it. I may do that. They're all edited. I mean, they're highly edited because there's some personal things in there that didn't belong in publication. They would have been boring. But I have my journals from those years, and I remember what it was like to write journals every day. And then I went into radio in 1994, and my radio has become my journal. Because those of you who are listeners to this show know that unlike most in the business, I don't get stuck on a political topic. I get uh, distracted very easily, meaning I, I'm a full human being with a lot of ideas, and I don't need to beat something to death uh, to the exclusion of the broader picture. So sometimes in the middle of discussion, the discussion of a political event, I'll veer off as I am now doing into something personal. What I'm doing for you right now is writing a journal on air. You see what I'm saying? So to make a long story short, I'm circling back to what I left off with 25 years ago. Would you believe it? Which is reading, 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 reading. Now I did read heavy philosophy. I read heavy fiction. I read light fiction. I never read the kind of fiction that you would call pulp fiction. I never I never understood it. I didn't like it. I liked serious fiction. So I could go into those if you want one day. This is not the time. We're in a hyper-political time. I understand that. And you want to hear about Trump and Biden and the election. I'll do that. That's fine. 
But, um, for example, Huxley. I read Huxley. But I also read Henry Miller. I read everything Henry Miller wrote. I loved Henry Miller. I became obsessed with Jack Kerouac's writings. Jack Kerouac, Jack Kerouac was a, an enlightened man who enlightened me. And, in fact, it was because of Jack Kerouac's book, On the Road, that I moved out of New York and went on the road. If you may not know that, here I am living inside a Jack Kerouacian life when he wrote about, I believe, in, in some place he visited friends in Marin County and deer came down on a lawn. Now, remember, if you're stuck in an apartment in the East Village where there were nothing but bums and junkies and hippies and danger lurked everywhere, the thought of a deer coming down on your back lawn was pretty amazing to me. And, of course, they're there. They're everywhere. My friends are all over the place. They're um, the seals, the seagulls, <laughs> the deer. You know, I talk to animals. You may not know that. I, I don't sit and say, hey, how you doing? And they talk back to me. It's not like Johnny the Friendly Porpoise. But I have an affinity for the uh, animal friends on the earth, just as our Native American predecessors on this continent certainly did, and those who follow us on this continent certainly will. Because there's no question that unless you are in tune with the plants, the animals, the air, the water, the places, you're not really fully human. So you can get too trapped in to the things that we're doing, the things that we're buying, the things that we're consuming, the things that we're living through, and forget the broader picture. You see what I'm saying? I think maybe I should become a guy who runs seminars somewhere. But you see, here's the danger with that. I actually just saw myself in a room with 30 people teaching philosophy like that, telling stories, leading back and forth. There's a danger to it, which is why I never did it. The danger is you fall into the guru category and you start to think you're too important. And then you wind up like the leader of a cult, whether it was the uh, Indian guru in Oregon with the Rolls Royces and you know the seduction of all the girls and where that led to. And then you had the Nexium cult leader, which is an astonishing story unto itself. Boy, I haven't got... There's an HBO series called, um, I forget what it's called, Va uh, The Vow. And there's this guy, he's very captivating because he's short, he's got long hair, and he never really overpowers you with his speaking, and he just, like, talks to you. But he created a huge cult like Est, a thing of that nature, and he got a lot of people hooked in. A lot of them were from Hollywood. Highly skilled writers and actresses became hooked on this guy. I don't really know how. I mean, I don't get it. But he, he did that, and a lot of them were very attractive women, and he wound up sleeping with a lot of these women. But worse than sleeping with the women, he actually had them tattooed near their private parts with his initials, but they didn't know it was his initials. He was so devious that he had the cult put this symbol on their thighs, their inner thighs, and a tattoo turned sideways which didn't look like his initials. It looked like a symbol. But if you turned it another way, it was his, his initials. The guy was crazy. And it took one woman who broke free from the cult to blow. The, it, was, it was actually a man who broke free of the cult that started the, the thing going, a guy, guy named Frank. It's on HBO. It's a thing called The Vow. It's all in documentary film. It's pretty amazing. But the point that I'm making is that if you have an extraordinary ability to teach, let's put it that way, to give knowledge on whatever the subject may be, People naturally will gravitate to you, whether it be on radio or in a classroom, in a church. That would used to be the real place for philosophy, right? Churches, places of philosophy. The ancient synagogues were places where people went to be enlightened, enlightened, 
lift it up, enlighten, lift it up, right? So now you go into a church or a synagogue and you don't get lifted up, you get put down. You walk out feeling, ugh, oh man, I got beaten up, I'm no good. The world's a terrible place. Or you hear the ancient chants that have no meaning to you. You know, begging. You come out feeling weak. A church was not a place to make you weak. A synagogue was not a place to make you weak. It was a place where you're supposed to come out full of energy, full of power, full of God's power to go out into the world with more energy. So actually, at the end of the day, I'm probably more of a preacher than I am a teacher. But I got to take a break because I'm just a talk show host. Savage. So as this show, this hour comes to a conclusion, there's another hour today, and then I'm not here Monday because it is the most religious Jewish holiday of the year. It's called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. I actually hate the holiday. It's the most depressing holiday on earth. You have to apologize for everything you did and thought of doing everything you did were bad. And uh, then you beg God to write you into the book of life according to Jewish tradition. These are the 10 days that end that day where God decides, you know, like a child with Santa Claus, where the God decides to write you into the book of life. Now, you could laugh and mock God if you want and make believe that these rituals mean nothing. But, you know, something bad happened to me last December. So I went back in my journals and I said, did I mock God last year in Kippur? Did I go on the air and say something bad about God? Is that why he did that to me? No, things happen. You, you get older, you get younger things happen. You get run over by a car at age nine. You know, a church bus falls off a cliff. The kids didn't do anything wrong. There's a lot of random stuff in the universe. So I just want to close this hour with a statement about Donald Trump. I've been thinking about it apropos of the Jewish holiday. There are psychotic left-wingers out there who are saying Trump is an anti-Semite, Trump is Hitler. I couldn't believe what I heard on MSNBC. Trump is Hitler. Now, Donald Trump did more for peace between Jews and Arabs than any president in the history of the world. Do you know there's a major peace deal? Do you know that if this deal had been done by any other president, had he been a Democrat, there would have been fireworks and Nobel Prizes and celebrations across the world? Do you have any idea how psychotic these people are on television to call him Hitler and to say he has done nothing for the world? Westwood One Podcast Network. Fans of the spoken word, welcome. This is a podcast. Greetings, pod recipients. You are entering the Savage Nation. Read the book, see the movie. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Music, popular music actually reflects society at its time. So you take Bobby Darren, he reflected cool, the cool of the time. Probably one of the, the word cool has a meaning, real meaning. He was a cool guy. Everybody wanted, a man would generally wanted to emulate him, be like him, like Frank Sinatra. Men wanted to be like Frank Sinatra. That's what cool means. A man who is cool 
is someone that other men want to be like, okay? So that was an era. Now, look at what we have today. Do I have to tell you the difference, how we have devolved into the society? Look at the recording artists of today, if you want to call them that, okay? I don't have to denigrate them. They denigrate themselves every time they open their mouths. Look at the baseball players I grew up with. They were role models, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, great men, role models. We looked up to them. Their behavior was important. Look at the garbage now on the fields with the hoops and the bats. Take a look at them. They're almost indistinguishable from the gangs that shoot each other in the streets, except these guys use balls instead of guns, but they're the same mentality. And they're the role models, unfortunately, for so much of America. Now, I could give you the news of the day, but I'll tell you what today's show is called. I'm going to give you the news anyway, all the headlines from my point of view. Today's show, yesterday's show was from Plato's Republic to Our Republic, how it relates to Trump or Biden. And the podcast pulled double the numbers that it normally gets. This is interesting. So I was trying to say in the last hour, I think that indicates people are starved for philosophy, classical literature, a deeper discussion of things. Uh, from any perspective, they're so bored to death of the monodimensional, if you even want to call it that, um, television and radio stuff. So today's show will be a continuation of, of that yesterday. And I just titled it From Ancient Philosophy to Savage Philosophy to Save America. Just simple. I got to make it simple for myself to come up with a title. So it's every, day, every day I have to come up with like a book title. From Ancient Philosophy to Savage Philosophy to Save America. I think it's a good one. Now, here are some of the headlines I found of interest to me. I hope they are to you. All of these stories and others can be found on the one portal to find out what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, where I'm going, where I'll be. And that is michaelsavage.com. COVID-19 mutation may be evolving to bypass mask wearing and hand washing. I'm not surprised by that because as a trained epidemiologist, I knew that viruses mutate and they mutate rapidly. And was, viruses are smart. They have their own intelligence. And so we wash our hands. Uh, we wear masks. And scientists, real scientists, not Fauci, found that there's a new strain of the virus known as the D614G mutation. It's more contagious. It's not more deadly. It's more contagious. And the fact is, is that the virus responded to defeat masks and other social distancing efforts. It's almost like the virus is, uh, we keep hearing about est extraterrestrials, right? E.T. Sometimes I think the virus is an E.T. But I'll leave that to those of you who study those things. Uh, California man finds thousands of what appear to be unopened ballots in garbage dumpster. Tell that to Nancy Galosi, Nancy Galoshes. Thousands of unopened ballots in a garbage dumpster in California. Organized election fraud. Next story. Four people, including Texas County Commissioner, charged in mail ballot fraud scheme. You're surprised by any of this? These are the same demon cats who rejected voter ID, who wanted as many non-citizens to vote as they could get in order to maintain their uh, one-party scam of the American people. Here's another one. Wisconsin authorities investigate absentee ballots found in ditch as FBI probes discarded pro-Trump ballots in Pennsylvania. Next story, Dianne Feinstein's husband, Richard Blum, named in UC Berkeley admissions scam. Yeah, no, nothing will happen. Come on. Are you joking? Nothing will happen to him. Richard Blum? Dianne Feinstein? They are the law. What do you mean above the law? They're not above the law. They are the law. House Democrats preparing bill to impose term limits on Supreme Court. 
the rich people who rent U-Hauls for riots in Louisville where cops get shot. You'll not believe the list of the millionaires and billionaires who are supporting the rioters in the streets. The names are shocking. The names are disgusting because they're all rich. And I don't have to read them to you. You can find them all in the article. The rich people who rent U-Hauls for riots in Louisville where cops get shot. And one of them is Holly Zoller, who rented the vehicle during a recorded phone conversation. I never heard of her. She rented a U-Haul truck. She's a blonde-haired white woman, kind of fascist type, who thinks that she's a social justice warrior. Zoller is a local Louisville representative for an organization called the Bail Project, which raises money to bail out individuals arrested for criminal offenses. The Bail Project is headed by Robin Steinberg, an American lawyer and social justice advocate who previously funded, founded the Bronx Freedom Fund. You hear this? These are like boll weevils. These people are like insects. They go from the Bronx to Louisville to Portland to Seattle, and they poison the body politic with their communist agitation. But there are a whole raft of very wealthy and very influential individuals who are giving money to this. Lisa Gersh, who was most recently the chief executive officer of Alexander Wang, a fashion brand based in New York City. Michael E. Novogratz, the CEO of Galaxy Investment Partners. The actor Danny Glover. Danny Glover, forget about him. Uh, the singer John Legend. Richard Branson. These are all donors to uh, the Bail Project. So now you understand what's going on in this country in a little way. Those are some of the other headlines. All of the other headlines that um, I didn't talk about yet can be found on michaelsavage.com. Here's one I wanted to talk about, given the, the religious holiday that's coming up for Jewish people. New York City threatens Orthodox Jewish areas on the virus, but Trump's impact is seen. Oh, this is a big story. The cowardly communist mayor, Milda Blasio, who did nothing to stop nor say nothing about the riots in New York City the thugs in Black Lives Matter, the militant communists in Antifa, is cracking down on Orthodox Jewish people in Queens and Brooklyn. Mayor Bill de Blasio ordered the police department and the sheriff's office to enforce public health guidelines in several Orthodox Jewish neighbors in Queens and Brooklyn. Now, there's more to this story than meets the eyes. It is true, for example, that the virus is unfortunately rampant amongst Orthodox Jewish communities, for a number of reasons. They, they pray very closely together. They don't practice social distancing. But what you don't know about this is that a goodly, a high percentage, like 92% of Orthodox Jews in New York voted for Donald Trump. And that is the rest of the story. It's not just that he wants to control the pandemic. He wants to get even with the Orthodox Jews who are defenseless against the hate coming out of the communist administration in New York City. So it's not that he wants to control the virus per se. He wants to control the Jews and get even with them. They love President Trump. They hate him. And on top of that, uh, they know that de Blasio did not respond similarly to Black Lives Matter protests in June uh, when they were rioting and they were all next to each other in the streets of New York. And so rightfully low, the Hasidic Jews in Borough Park distrust uh, the, the mayor of New York City. Again, remember, they generally, they generally, unlike their liberal co-religionists, back Donald Trump. Orthodox Jews generally like Donald Trump. They vote for Donald Trump.
they generally vote Republican. Their co-religionists, the liberal reform Jews, like Black Lives Matter, they like Antifa, and they hate Donald Trump. That's all. Now you know the rest of the story. Jimmy in New York, our old pal Jimmy, you're up on the Savage Nation. What's on your mind, Jimmy? Dr. Savage, what isn't on my mind? You know, God bless you. You sound good. You sound very even, you know, with your voice, very monotone. I'm having a nervous breakdown here. We got 14 months left of this crackpot John Wilhelm, Mayor de Blasio. If you see what Manhattan looks like, if you go near, I went uptown the other day. I ran right back downtown, which made me run on the ferry to get back to Staten Island. You have no idea what's going on. Everybody's which means they're all nuts in the head. Nobody smiles. Everybody with a mask. Like you said, the crackpots in a car by themselves with the mask, the windows up. And they're by themselves. Riding the- by, them, by themselves with a mask on. They don't even know the mask is to prevent them from dispersing the droplets, not to protect the, them from the virus. They're that stupid. Yeah, you know what happened to me? I had an argument with a guy. I was going in the shopping store to go shop and do what I had to do. The guy says, put the mask on. This lady tells me, put the mask up. You put my life in danger. I said, from the looks of you, you got 15 minutes left. Make it worth your while and get away. <laughs> Patience. I, can, I don't, you know, let me tell you. This guy, Nicky, taps me on my shoulder. He goes, hey, you're Jimmy, right? I said, yeah, what? What's the matter? You owe me money? He said, no, I heard you on Michael Savage. Then a week later, there was a guy in the lot. He was driving in the car. He goes, hey, we heard you on Savage. You wait, wait, wait. I am I am banished in New York City. They took me off WABC, even though I beat Hannity for three years straight. The new owners of WABC do not want me to be heard in New York for reasons I will not understand. They're nice people, smart people, conservative people. They back Trump. I don't understand why they don't want me in New York City. I can't figure these things out. I think there's a general blacklist going on around America in the radio world, and I can't understand. Dr. Savage, let me say something. My mother always said, so smart, so smart, so stupid. Well, I don't know. I don't know what to know about the next guy. All I know is this, Jimmy. How do you, how do you catch my show? How do you listen to my show in New York? I want to know because I'm blacklisted in New York. KSFO on the stream or whatever you call it. I, I, I that other. Tra- well, what are you going to do in January if I'm no longer even heard on the stream? How are you going to listen to me? No, no, don't, uh, uh, MichaelSavage.com. But listen, I hear it in your voice. You're, do, you're doing nice and slow. You're preparing us for. You're buttering the, the belly. So, uh, you you hear that? You hear it coming. You hear it coming. And listen, and I feed birds too. I feed pigeons where I live. We don't have the seagulls here. Unless ah, uh, ah, uh, you're speaking in pictograms. Yeah, but my you know, I actually do speak in pictograms. It's an interesting phenomenon. But uh, I think Italians speak in pictograms, too, with the hands and everything else. No, they just show a casket, and that's it. <laughs> God, Jimmy. Jimmy, you're terrible. Jimmy, do you have a copy of Our Fight for America? Even if you do, I'm sending you one. But do you have one? It's in the mail, Doc. Oh, so you didn't even buy one. Yeah, come on. Oh, it's in the mail. I ordered it. Then you... Oh, I'm joking. I'm going to send you one for your mother-in-law. Actually, I'm sending you one for your ex-wife, the one you said, the one you always put down on my show. No. I, I want to send you a copy just so you could agitate her a little more. Wait, no, wait, Doc. My ex-wife appears at the aquarium, 2.30. She swims by every... <laughs> Stop it. Stop <laughs> it with your sexist jokes. Stop it. Which exhibit is she in? Which one does she swim in? Which exhibit? The most pathetic exhibit there is. It's got green water, and she stopped. <laughs> Stop, Jimmy. Jimmy, thanks for making everyone's Friday a little happier. Thanks for listening to the Savage Nation. Uh, Jimmy, you got his number. Uh, your name is Jimmy. Jimmy? Hey, Jimmy, send Jimmy a book. I'll be back in a minute. Savage. 
It is the Savage Nation, where it's always been 1957. I still have fins on my head. I have the caddy fins on my head. That's the world I live in. That's the world I'm always going to live in. And I don't care what you think of me. How's that? All right? That's the way it is. That's the world I live in. I love that world. Was it perfect? No. Was there injustice? Yes. Was America great? Yes. Did it have flaws? Yes. You have no flaws? Everything has flaws. And you know, I go back to the founding of America. All we hear from the illegitimate left, the liars of this nation, was based on racism and slavery. That's the biggest lie you've ever heard. Racism and slavery are horrible things. There is not a nation on the planet that was not founded on horrible things being done to other nations and other people. Go all the way back and study your history. Go to Africa if you want. Let's not, let's not uh, dance around the subject. Let's see how Africans behave to Africans before we talk about how bad America is today to everyone else except white people. Do you know what the Zulus did to the neighboring tribes? No. Do you know what one tribe did to the other here in North America? No. You think it was all a Mazzola ad? Walking around with uh, buckskin and eating like uh, cornflakes made from the earth? May eat ink from plants and everyone loved everyone? If one tribe caught the other tribe off base, they came and they tortured them to death. They cut their skin off and threw them in the snow without skin. If you think I'm making it up, you know nothing about Native American history. They were brutal people. That's how they survived for 20,000 years off the land. They had to be brutal. So every nation on earth has its history of brutality. Do we revere it? No. Do we shun it? Yes. Do we remember it? Yes. But we don't make it the be-all and end-all of the nation. Go to Sweden. Go to Denmark. Go to Norway. Viking nations. Look at them today. Yeah, have you seen what's happened to these countries? I don't know where all the Vikings went. Maybe they're all in prison in biker gangs. I don't know where they are. How could a country like Sweden or Norway, where there are descendants of actual Eric the Terrible and Norman the Mean or whatever they called them, so they have great names, those guys. How could these descendants have been taken over by far-left feminist patsies who have turned their nation into toilet bowls, welcoming the refuse of the world who they put on pedestals. How? You got immigrants in those countries who don't work a day in their life living better than some poor Norwegians. How? Well, okay, this is what liberalism is. It's a mental disorder. That's how it is to me. So this is one man's opinion. Just listen to me. You don't have to agree with me. Of course, many of you do and many of you don't. It shocks some of you, but it makes some of you feel really good. So I'm in this old studio. That's why I'm feeling good. And I found this gavel that a listener sent to me years ago. I don't even know a listener from an, some engraving guy. I engraved my name on a, like a, a gavel, like a court gavel. It says to Judge Savage. I, I pulled it out of the archives and I said, Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. The Savage Court is now in session. All be seated. Wonderful, wonderful artifacts. One day, years ago, I used to think I was going to create a Savage Museum. Shows you how your mind can play tricks with you and the center of it was going to be my 1965 Cadillac convertible the red one that one symbolizes this show when the chrome was thick and the women were straight but I sold that Cadillac about five years ago savage come back America where did you go 
come back America, where did you go? I won't say it was a perfect time, but it was a better time. I don't understand what happened. I do kind of know what happened. I know who caused this. It all started in the actually started in the 50s with the beatniks, but the beatniks were harmless. They were basically harmless. They weren't really that political. All they wanted was drug, sex, and rock and roll. They really didn't bother anyone. But with the the desire for this ultra ultra liberty or libertarianism, whatever you want to call it, libertinism really is the right word, libertinism. In other words, if it feels good, do it. With the drive for a 100% freedom to do what you wanted, if it feels good, you know, want to do it in the road. But that came after the beatniks. The beatniks were... Basically, they, they smoked some pot, they drank a lot of wine, they slept with each other, and that was it. Then they wrote garbage poetry, most of them. A few of them were breakouts who knew what they would, you know, they were smart and, uh, and such. But most of it was dreck. And I came up in that menu, so I understood the beatnik mentality, where it came from. It was harmless, it was benign, you know. Then came, then came the social upheaval of the 60s and the hippies, driven by... Drugs, different drugs, harder drugs, crazy drugs, mind-altering drugs, mainly LSD. LSD probably screwed the American mind more than any other drug on the planet. Pushed by Timothy Leary, sold by his connections to Harvard, tied in with him, the feminist Bella Abzug, putting down men, man-haters combined with LSD, combined with uh, degeneracy, combined with poetry, combined with uh, all of the other stuff, led to the meltdown of America, led to the radical left popping up like mushrooms in the rain, committing horrible acts like the killing of Sharon Tate, the SLA, the kidnapping of Patty Hearst. All those things happened in the 1960s from the same mentality that is now burning and looting in the streets of America. Welcome back to the Savage Nation. See, that's a nice little sweep of history. That, that's the teacher in me. When I say news, views, and reviews, I should throw something else in, which is, I think I'm pretty good at taking complex ideas, reducing them to simple terms. I didn't say simple, stupid simple. I said simple terms. And then presenting them, projecting them through an electronic means to a massive audience. That's what I, that's what I do. That's how, that's how I reach you now. And what I'm trying to decide is how I want to reach you in 2021, assuming God still wants me. He'll decide that by Monday night. My- Monday night. <laughs> no, I'm not making any decisions till after that holiday. I'm telling you right now. Although I'm not a religious man, I'm extremely like fearful of God. It's a funny thing to say that, isn't it, Jim? So I fear God. I don't love God. I, I fear him. I'm not like one of these gurus. Oh, you know, love God. God loves you. God doesn't love you. God looks down. I mean, it's very. It's not very Christian. I know that Christians believe Jesus loves them and God loves them. God bless you if you believe that. I don't. To me, God is a vengeful God. Man, does he get even with you? And, and when you least expect it. So you screw over a man for years, whether it be in this business or another business, and you think you're going to get away with it. God's watching everything. You're going to pay back tenfold what you do to that man. I've seen it in my life over and over again. I have seen it over and over again. I've seen it in this business I'm in. I've seen people rip me off who thought that they were going to laugh all the way to the bank. What you know? I'm not going to say who, how, when. One guy once mocked me and said to me, I've beaten everyone I have fought in court. And I said to him, you haven't beaten me. He wound up living in a tool shed in the woods with nothing. This is a true story. I don't know how it happened. There were many cases in my life of people who thought that they were God Almighty themselves. 
greedy, vicious human beings, the meanest people you could ever imagine, who used lawyers. And some of those lawyers became talk show hosts. Oh, yeah, now they're posing as conservatives. They actually worked for this man. And that, those lawyers wrote the most vicious le venal letters you ever saw in your life, which I have, by the way, which will be released to the public at the right time. Posing now as one, a great, great conservative in a cowboy hat. You won't believe the letters when you see them. They're all factual. I wouldn't release them because I get sued. Wait until you see who the person really is behind the hat. Wait until you see the, like they say, you know, 10-gallon hat. There's the, how, how's it go, Jim, in Texas? There's a hat, but no, hat, but no cattle, right. That, that's what you have now. Hat, but no, <laughs> the hat, but no, no cattle. That's well, that's good. That's like a mic with no brain or the conservative without values, put it another way. But again, you know, God sees the truth but waits. I don't know what he has in mind for any of us. Do you? I know that the, the, the earth is moving under all of our feet between the epidemic, the social upheaval, the election, the lies, the hatred. I've never seen anything like this. I don't know how it ends. I have a suspicion I know how it, where it goes, but I, do we really know what's happening in, in, in 2021? No. So I have plans in mind, but the best laid plans are mice and men, as they say, right? So another book, by the way, another book that I ordered from the past is a Steinbeck book, The Winter of Our Discontent. I was telling you about me going back to reading and reading books that I loved many years ago, which I didn't have time to read over the last uh, 25 years because I've been so involved with radio every day and, and, and other stuff. So I, I reordered uh, Islands in the Stream by Hemingway. Beautiful story. Wow, was that well-crafted. But I, I ordered some other books. One of them is The Winter of Our Discontent by John Steinbeck. There's a fabulous scene in that book that comes back to my mind. I'm just talking now, if you don't mind. It's a talk show. I should be talking about MSNBC, Louisville protester, Antifa burning, uh, Trump, Biden. I, you'll have to forgive me. I'm talking about this instead. Yesterday was Plato's Republic. Today's show is From Ancient Philosophy to Savage Philosophy to Save America. And all of the stuff that goes around it in my, in my manner of speaking and how I do things. So the, the Winter of Our Discontent by John Steinbeck. Many of you probably know him, if you still remember him at all. Nobel Prize winner, but aside from that, he was a great writer. He didn't just win the prize because he was a, of a certain gender or race. That's when a Nobel Prize was actually given for, for great literature rather than for politically correct books, okay? So he won it because he was a great author. And there were other great authors who won Nobel Prizes. And um, one of the books he wrote was called The Winter of Our Discontent, as I mentioned. And in it, there's a, a scene, and I'm going to mangle it a little bit because I don't remember it exactly. I don't have the book in front of me. So one of the characters is in New England, and he is talking to an, a man of Italian heritage at the time who was of the working class. The Italian was a gardener or someone like that who he looked down upon. And this guy, this character in the old you know, New England type of guy is kind of browbeating him a little bit, trying to put him down verbally you know getting on top of him and then as Steinbeck writes it he looks in this guy's eyes at one moment and he says in a flash he suddenly saw the middle ages in a flash he suddenly saw the ancestry in a flash he suddenly saw the princes who are in his blood and the man got scared it was something along those lines actually I think I made the whole thing up it's better than Steinbeck but I won't win a Nobel Prize uh, I'll just win a prize of enjoying the show today and now on to the callers on the Savage Nation Let's go to John in New York on line nine. John, thanks for listening. What's on your mind? 
John is gone or there? Brother and I went. I'm here. I'm here. Oh, go, 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 go. Okay, my brother and I went to buy your book today, and we walked into the store, and it was surrounded by a bunch of cardboard cutouts of other authors and other books. So oh, nice. I took it upon myself to move the displays, and the young millennial manager comes spouting his mouth off. What are you doing? And I said, listen, this book is important. It should not be blocked off by cardboard cutouts. He said, well, you know, you don't tell me how to run a bookstore, and if you don't get out of here, I'm going to call the police. So we got into an argument for like five minutes. So my brother's a police officer, and he just dragged me out and said, let's go. It's not worth it. Let's go. We'll go to a different store. Unbelievable. Well, that, where was this? A Barnes & Noble? They're normally very good. They, they generally are very good to me. They've had many bestsellers with me, and occasionally you're going to get these anti-far left-wing radical scum in the book business who will try to bury my work. It's that simple. But, John, let me tell you something. Ultimately, ultimately, John, ultimately, ultimately, this kind of behavior never works. Truth has a way of bubbling up to the surface, no matter how they try to repress it. And um, I appreciate what you did. I don't want anyone getting in trouble because of me. I know the outrage. I know that your, your feelings are correct. But your brother was right. This bum could have called the cops and had caused trouble for you. While the next minute, that bum could have been tonight in a black uniform with a mask on, with a stick breaking the windows of his own store, and if a cop saw him, he'd go the other way. All right? That's the world you're living in today. John, thank you for being such a loyal, savage warrior. I do appreciate it. 855. Now let's go to uh, Tucson, Arizona, where Debbie listens avidly on the... Uh, is she still there? i got to make sure, because many people have been holding over an hour. Debbie, in, in Tucson, line two, you're on the Savage Nation. Debbie, are you there? What's on your mind? Yes, two weeks ago I was invited to the Latinos for Trump Roundtable in Phoenix. Afterwards, the NPR Arizona guy interviewed me and asked, why would you vote as a conservative and for Donald Trump as a Mexican-American? And I said, I quoted my famous philosopher. I said, listen, Dr. Savage says, without borders, cultures, and language, we have no country. And I was really disappointed. That was the one part he took out of my interview when it played. <laughs> Isn't that something? Well, thank you for being such a loyal, a loyal student. That's right. Without borders, language, and culture, there's no nation. The nation melts down like a, a cell without a membrane or a plant cell without a cell wall. That's right. Borders are the cell membrane of America, or of all nations. They're defined by their borders, their language, and their culture. And that's why the left wants open borders, a polyglot nation of no single language, and, of course, no culture except the culture of Karl Marx. Stay on the phone. I will send you a copy of my important book, Our Fight for America. That's all. Now let's go on to the next callers. Where are we? Great stuff. Let's go to the uh, great callers, just great callers. Jim, you got to, Jim's capturing the callers for their addresses, and the publisher then sends them our, our fight for America. I'm only going to do this like this week. It's the second week of publication. Maybe a little dribble into next week, and that's it. I will not talk about it because that's the way books are. You have basically two weeks. It's, it's like a movie opening. You got two weeks to, you know, get on the list, and that's the end of it. And I got bummed bumped out already by the New York Times who buried the book, even though it beat in sales because of you, many of the books that are on the list. But okay, it's not going to change my life one way or the other. Just going to make sure no one reads the title, Our Fight for America, on the New York Times list where all of the very important people look uh, to see which book to buy to show how smart they are. Let's see the next caller. Okay, Illinois, Ryan. Illinois, where are you in Illinois, Ryan? Welcome to the show. Thank you, Doctor. I got to say, days like yesterday and days like today, you are at your very best. And we not only need that, we appreciate that. Well, 
Okay, let's pause there for a minute because you know that yesterday was a unique day in my recent radio shows. If you've listened over the years, you can tell when my energy is clean and good and when it's something other than that. And I, there's a number of reasons I'm feeling rather clear right now and very optimistic. And it, it was reflected in yesterday's show, and I think it's reflected in my voice and my presentation today. So what is it that you'd like to say to the massive audience that is listening? Well, like to say, it brought me back to your show you did probably about a month ago when you quoted Von Goss about treating individuals as he, how they could be and watching them become what that individual could be. Okay, Goethe. Goethe wrote, if you, tr- if you take a man as he is, you make him worse. If you treat a man as he could be, he becomes better. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a version of what he said. In other words, if you say to a guy who's a bad guy, you're a bum, you're no good, you're never going to be any good, you're going to be a piece of garbage, like a bad father, right? That kid will always be bad. But if the father sees a kid going wrong and says, look, son, you know, you're not doing the right thing right now, but I know there's really good stuff in you. I know you can do some great things. Let's try to understand who you really are. Then you make the kid better. And it's the same with people at countries. You know that, Ryan? That's, that's, that's what I was trying to say. Oh, absolutely. It's, I've always agreed with that. And, you know, if you treat the individual as he's not, that's what he's become. And I think it's really relevant to what you see today. If you keep telling people that they're evil and racist and everything else, that's what you're going to get. Right. If they keep putting down the white man, they keep screaming that you're a racist. They keep screaming you're a fascist. They're going to have a few million racist fascists down their throat very soon. How's that? Can we leave it at that? Let's leave it at that. Our fight for America, my friends, be very, very careful what you're doing to people with your verbiage, you on the left, because you've not yet seen America. Okay, stay on the line. Our fight for America goes out to you. Many of you think that America is defined by older white men who push lawnmowers around or water their gardens on Saturday. And that's a good portion of the image of the older white male. You haven't really seen them. You haven't seen them yet. You're starting to get hints of them with the Proud Boys and others, but you've seen nothing yet. You keep taking away the honor of these people. You're going to unleash a firestorm upon yourself unlike any you have ever seen in history. Savage. JC in the Bay Area, you're up on the Savage Nation. Go ahead, please, JC. Yes, please. I, Dr. Savage, I hope that in your future career step, you will, you will be vis, uh, visual uh, uh, on some form of media, because we need to see you. You're still presentable in a professorial sort of way. I would uh, bring the camera down to see you f- like, uh, from the chest up, and I would uh, replace those heavy rim glasses, if I may suggest. <laughs> can fight. Okay, okay, got it. So, yeah, well, we're thinking of audiovisual streaming for sure. As part of the uh, 2021 New Savage Nation, audiovisual stream would be fun. I have so many things I want to show the audience. I have collected things over a long period of time. I would like to bring them into the show. Even the gavel I was talking about today, if you could only see it. So I appreciate that, but we don't want to get too we, we don't want to get too into this right now uh, with more pictures of me and because they play Misty for me thing comes up and the XK150 on Highway One in Monterey and. 
the Clint Eastwood and the slashing and the and the and the blood and the broken bottles. So anyway, it's been nice knowing you. Uh, we have gone from Plato's Republic to the Savage Republic, and today from the ancient from ancient philosophy to Savage philosophy to save America. Follow me uh, for all things Savage on michaelsavage.com, and I hope you're written into the book of life. The Westwood One Podcast Network. 